a few years ago, I spent three days hiking the Appalachian Trail in Pennsylvania with a group of about 30 people. We were very lucky to have a support team who drove our tents and our food and other supplies from campsite to campsite over the three days, but even then, we were certainly not glamping. You've heard that word, glamorous camping. It rained the first night, and without a tarp laid underneath the tent, and the tent not being waterproof, it was an uncomfortable night, to say the least. I could feel the moisture slowly starting to seep in, and tried to shift to dry spots as whole sections of the tent became waterlogged. Unfortunately, it was a pointless exercise. By the end of the night, most of our things and most of us were completely soaked. What's more, after the end of three days, I was about ready to hike barefoot because my fancy new hiking boots had given me some painful blisters on my feet. But I loved the experience of being on the Appalachian Trail for three days. The dense green forest, the sense of anticipation, never knowing what the trail would look like around the next bend or over the next hill. I loved the meditative conversation that arises when we walk simply for the sake of walking. I think that camping is a testament to the fact that even the most joyful, beautiful experience is just plain messy. We have only to look at the wrapping paper strewn on the floor on Christmas morning, or a kitchen piled high with dirty china and crystal after a holiday meal to be reminded of the messiness of our most joyful experiences. So let's just say it. Life is messy. If only we had to worry about cleaning up our happy messes. Instead, we are burdened with the ugly messes that seem so overwhelming that we don't even know how to begin to clean them up. This year has been full of the grisly mess that stems from evil, from the refugees streaming from Asia and Latin America and the Middle East, people desperate for welcome and safety, to the pure hatred embodied in bombs and terrorist attacks, to the almost numbing regularity of mass shootings in this country, to an insidious distrust between our law enforcement and many Americans that results in unnecessary deaths on both sides. The world is not just messy, it is in shambles. A mentor of mine likes to say that life may be viewed as lived between a birth we did not request and a grave we cannot escape. And it's tempting to look at life in this way, isn't it? As a pointless exercise in the endurance of pain and suffering. Every day we make a new mess, and as soon as we clean up one mess, another one has been made. But then we hear the cry of a baby. A baby in 
a dirty, messy crib, in a dirty, messy stable surrounded by dirty, messy animals and flanked by parents, dirtied by travel and tears. That baby's cry is the Christmas message that has reverberated and echoed throughout creation, transforming the mess of life into something new, something divine. At Christmas, God invades his creation, embracing the blood and the tears and the blisters, embracing the refugees and the maimed, the fearful, and even the fear mongers. At Christmas, God does not just come to live among us, as the evangelist John writes in his poetic preface to his gospel. God comes to tabernacle with us, to pitch his tent with us. We celebrate the incarnation at Christmas, the fact that God enters this world not to clean us up, but to stand with us. At Christmas, God announces to us that this life lived between a birth we did not request and a grave we cannot escape is, in fact, worth living. God nails his tent pegs into the ground and sets up camp, risking not only rainy nights and muddy days, but risking it all, making himself vulnerable to every imaginable human challenge. It defies logic, but God's action frees us from the compulsion to tidy and to clean and to make this world perfect for him. Instead, God's divine invasion allows us to look for him in the midst of our own messes, both the ones that we have made and the ones that we have inherited. In this radical reversal of expectations, God promises that we can find him not in perfection, but in the mess, and that he will transform even the worst messes into his objects of goodness and grace. And yes, you do hear me saying that the incarnation is a divine invasion. I realize these words sound militaristic and perhaps unappealingly violent, but I take them from St. Paul himself, who in his impassioned letter to the Galatians was doing all he could to describe the revolutionary, life-changing power of the Incarnation. The Galatians were a group of Gentiles, they weren't Jews, who were being taught by an unknown group of rival teachers that in order to be Christian, they must take on the Jewish law. So Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, is trying to convince them that they don't need to be concerned with following the law because the incarnation has changed everything. It has overthrown the old powers that imprisoned creation. The incarnation conquers the power of sin, the power of death, and the power of the law. God's faith invades this world, and it frees everyone. Gentile and Jew, Galatians and Romans, you and me, 
from living by the old rules of sin and death. So to summarize, today we learn about the incarnation from our earliest Christian theologians, St. Paul and St. John. Paul teaches us that the incarnation is a military expedition into the world, led by a God who undertakes this invasion in order to defeat the powers of sin and death. And John tells us how God conquers by entering into the messiness of life, affirming its goodness, and by showing us himself how to live and how to love, not through might or violence, but through vulnerability and weakness. I'm a mess. You're a mess. The world is a mess. Thanks be to God that he pitched his tent full of light and life in this messy world. God is with us, reminding us that this life, with all of its complications, is holy and, above all, worthwhile. Amen.